0: The following audio is from Steadfast Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Steadfast Church or to partner with us on mission, visit steadfastavl.org. Morning church. Happy birthday. Man, uh, can you believe it's been an entire year since that vote? Uh, it's crazy. For those of you who don't know, um, <clears throat> it was, it was last—well, I'll say this. Bent Creek Baptist Church was a 122-year-old congregation that had experienced incredible highs over the decades. And in some ways, in the last several years in particular, some pretty challenging uh, lows. Some, some some struggles. Missio Day Church was 15 years old and uh, by God's grace had grown to a few hundred but was had never had a permanent home. And so uh, we, we were praying that God would provide a home for us. Well, it was April, April 26th, I believe it was, of last year. Um, I heard of some struggles that Ben Creek was had, having. Reached out to Sam, uh, who was the only staff person I could find on the website, and just sent an email saying, hey, here's who we are as a church. Uh, would you be interested in a conversation just about leasing space from you? And, uh, and that conversation very quickly in the month of May uh, t- between our two elder teams turned into, well, what about more? Would God have more for us than just a, a, a leasing uh, landlord agreement? And so we began from May to, um, to August, our elder teams in some, some very robust and challenging and honest conversations about what a future could look like together. Was it even possible? Would it, would it even be possible for these two churches to come together as one? And by the middle of August, we were confident, in our elder teams, that we could recommend to both churches that uh, our intent was to come together and become one new thing, one new church together. Well, we spent, uh, if you were around, we spent August through October Uh, through mid-October, doing things like town hall meetings and um, joint services and and all kinds of stuff, trying to answer questions and and understand together. And we invited you, the congregation, into this process to discern with us, do do we believe God is calling us to do this? And along the way, we realized that the, the, the threshold for the vote for it to pass for Bent Creek was 75% which is a pretty significant number. But uh, as Sam alluded to, our elders, as we got together, we said, you know what? If God's really doing this, let's, let's ask him to make it obvious. And so let's pray that God makes it 95%. Let's see 95% of the congregation affirm this if God's really doing it. And as Sam mentioned, uh, I think I was in the middle of, we had two services at Missy at the time, and, and I got a text from him uh, maybe in between services or, or right before the beginning of the second Um, when he said the votes are in and and the the vote is 95.26 (laughs) percent ain't he good now we all hear of churches who divide and split but rarely if ever do we hear of congregations who unite and and so i want you to know what you are caught up in is nothing short of a miracle God is doing this. God has done this, and God will continue to do this. I want to really quickly, if we can, and if you could raise the house lights just a a second for me, just a little bit. If you were formerly part of Bent Creek Baptist Church, would you just slip your hand up for us real quick? I want everybody to see, okay, the Bent Creek folks. Okay, fantastic. All right, now, if you were formerly part of Missio Day Church, would you slip your hand up? Okay, fantastic. Okay, now, if you are new to this church from last October all the way to this week, any any time in between, would you lift your hand up? Praise God for that, huh? Now, <clears throat> you got your little applause going, that's good. So here's what I want to do. I want to especially, I want to especially honor and thank the members of Bent Creek Baptist Church, because you all have sacrificed the most to make this possible. And so Missio, when I say the former Missio people, when I say a Missio applause, you know what I'm saying. So can we really quickly honor the Bent Creek people with a Missio applause? (laughs) Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Um, so much has happened in this last 364 days. <laughs> uh, it's hard to put into words and the Lord has been so kind to us. And I have I, I talk to pastors a lot. It's kind of one of the things we do is talk to each other. And, uh, and pa- when pastors ask me how it's going, they always ask me with kind of a grimace on their face like, how's the merger going? <laughs> and you know what I have to say to them? It's amazing. It's been so smooth. It's been so good. We are so unified. And that's why I say what God is doing here is nothing short of miraculous, folks. This is what you are caught up in. And how has that happened? How has it been so smooth and so easy and not without the grumbling, right? But, but, but overall been so good because the power of God is at work here. And what will carry us into our future? The power of God. And that's what I want to look at this morning. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. By the way, uh, we've got crumble cookies and hot apple cider after the gathering. So um, yeah, praise the Lord for that. I hope that you will stick around and uh, maybe meet a few people that you don't know and enjoy a cookie and a drink on our way out the door. Ephesians chapter 3, I want to pick up in verse 14. I'm going to read down to verse 21, uh, and then I will pray for us, and we'll get going here in the little bit of time we have left together. You guys ready to study the word? Amen. Let's go. Ephesians 3. For this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. Thanks Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, it truly is a joy, not only to be together in this room this morning, um, but to be one church. T- to understand that you, by your sovereign grace and power, have brought us together, to fused us together as one household, as one family of God, two very different congregations, and yet you have done something beautiful here by melding us into one family. And so we give you praise and honor and glory for what you have done. And now as we turn our attention to your, your word, we ask you to meet us here by your spirit. Lord, we need your words. They are life to us. And I know that for many, this is a very familiar passage of scripture, but would you not allow familiarity to breed contempt? Would you help us to hear clearly from you this morning? Whatever it is that you desire to implant into us Would you do so by the power of your spirit and and through your word so that we might be a changed people, a people who love you more fiercely than we did when we came in these doors? Holy Spirit, please help me as I um, preach this word that it might be rightly divided and it might edify and challenge and convict and ultimately bring transformation for your glory and for our good. We ask all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. amen. Right so if you're a note taker first thing you can write down here is the necessity of power the necessity of power. We see that in verses 14 through 16. Now, Paul has written this letter to the church at Ephesus, or the churches at Ephesus, were, which were a region uh, in, in what is now modern-day Turkey, uh, these churches that had been planted. Uh, if you remember back to Acts chapter 19, for example, Paul comes in. Uh, there were already people there actually proclaiming the gospel, but um, when, when the gospel takes root in the city of Ephesus, it actually starts a riot. You remember that? Because all these people who had practiced witchcraft and incantation and all these other spiritual practices, when they came to Christ, they actually gathered up all their books and all their stuff and, and all their idols, and they burned them all in public, which would be awesome, by the way, if we saw that like down at like downtown, it's like there's this big pile of, you know, witchcraft books and stuff like getting on fire because people love Jesus. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. yeah. Let's pray that God ha- makes it happen. And I'm not talking like, let's burn all the secular music. I'm talking about actual <laughs> awful stuff, right? Witchcraft and that kind of thing. So, um, so, so it was difficult to be a Christian in the city of Ephesus because it was a very pluralistic city. And yet people were intolerant of Christianity because it had, it had uprooted the, idol, the uh, idol culture there. It was a city of licentiousness. It was a city of carnality. It was a city of materialism. But Paul had a conviction that the church in the city of Ephesus was to be a distinct and countercultural entity. And so he prays for the church here. And in verse 14, he says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. He's going to pray fervently. Um, Jews typically would stand praying up. If you've ever seen pictures of like the wailing wall in Jerusalem, they they stand up and lean against that wall. But here Paul says, I bow my knees. I am getting down on the ground and I'm pleading with God to do what only God can do. And he says, for this reason, I bow my knees. Now, what's that reason? Because we're coming into the middle of the chapter, you might not remember the reason. So let me remind you. Paul says this in chapter 1 because they are a people who were chosen by God before the foundations of the world. Remember, it's hard to be a Christian in Ephesus. People are suffering, people are being persecuted, and he says to them, remember, God chose you. He is with you. He is for you. He's called you to be holy. In chapter two, he says you were dead in your sins and trespasses, right? But you have been made alive together with Christ. By the power of the the grace of Christ, you've been made alive together. Later on in chapter two, he'll even say, You Jews and you Gentiles, you were you were um Aliens and strangers, right? You were separated from one another. There was a, a wall of division between you and, and uh, you who were separated from each other, who were divided. You've now been made together into citizens, into saints, and he says, into one new household, one family of God by the blood of Christ. He has div- taken down that dividing wall of hostility and he's building you together into a temple, into a dwelling place for God's spirit. That's amazing, Right, that, that God says that there is a uniqueness. When, when believers come together as one body, there is a unique presence of the Spirit. There's a unique power of the Spirit that comes that's unlike what happens just us individually. That we're coming together and, and he is making us into a dwelling place for the Spirit. And then in chapter three, he has said this, because our unity as the people of God, Jew and Gentile coming together, people of all different you know, ages and classes coming together in Christ. This unity shows off God's multifaceted power, not just to the city around us, but to the powers and principalities to the spiritual realm. That's awesome. You realize that that in some small way, uh, Bent Creek and Missio Day coming together and uniting as one church is showing off the power of God to the spiritual places and powers. It's amazing. So so Paul is praying for this church, and he's not praying that their circumstances would change. Remember, it's hard to be a believer in the city of Ephesus. He doesn't pray that their, their circumstances change. He prays that God would transform them on the inside. They need power. We need power. And so he says, I bow my knees before the one from whom all families on earth are named, the one who has true power and true wealth. This is our God, the creator and sustainer of all things. And when I say all things, I mean all things. For example, everybody right now, just take a deep breath in. Gift of God to you. He sustains you he determines whether you take the next one. The God who has set everything into motion, who is integrally involved in every aspect of his creation, the one, uh, the Bible says he he owns a cattle on a thousand hills, right? I've said this before, Um, Put in modern language, he owns short-term rentals in a thousand cities. (laughs) He's like stupid rich, right? This is our God. He's the creator and sustainer of all things, the one from whom all families on the earth are named. And Paul says, I am praying that you would be, look at verse 16, "Um, according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now, notice, what is Paul not praying for? He's not praying for more of your power, he's not asking God to give you more of your own strength. But God's strength, God's power. This is the second time that he's prayed for that specific thing in the book of Ephesians. Back in chapter one, he even he puts it this way. Um, I'll just read a couple of verses here from chapter one. He says, um, I pray that uh, your, the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Paul is praying that the same power that raised Christ from the dead not only would dwell in you, but would grow in you. This has been God's MO all along, his his, his promise all along, his purpose all along. You remember in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel, maybe you don't read Ezekiel very much. I just happened to read it in my Bible reading plan again this year. Ezekiel 36 and 37. God says, look, I'm going to put my power in you. I'm going to put my spirit in you. And the people of God are like, no, 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 wait, wait. You can't do that. We've seen your power, we've seen your glory, we've seen the temple. There's no way that the power of God can dwell in a man. And he goes, no, 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 this is how it's going to work. I'm going to take that that stony heart of yours and I'm going to pull it out and I'm going to put in it a a heart of flesh and my spirit and my presence is going to actually dwell in there. And it's going to be like this valley of dry bones when when a rattle comes and all the bones come together and my presence and my power dwells inside of man. That's what's going to happen. And they didn't believe it. I wonder if we do. Why do we need this power? Why do we need this kind of power? Becoming one new people is something only God can do. You think about Jews and Gentiles at that time who largely hated one another, coming together as one family You think of even Jesus' disciples. You've got Matthew, the tax collector, who works for Rome to oppress his own Jewish people. And and then you've got, um, I don't know, Simon the Zealot. You've got these others, right, who who are wildly opposed to the Roman government. And Jesus says, this is how the world's going to know that you two knuckleheads belong to me, that you love one another. Only God can do that. Only God can take... uh, Uh, two congregations who are very different demographically uh, in almost every way and slap them together and make one family out of them. And we're caught up in that. Here's the reality. You and I can't even agree with and get along with the people we love the most. Can we? In our own power and strength? Anybody want to testify to that? (laughs) (laughs) Like there are some of us this week Maybe even this morning, who said out of your mouth some of the harshest and most unkind words that you could ever dream up to the person that you've covenanted your entire life to. no nudging of the spouses, please. There are some of us who have who have been so cold and harsh with our, with our children, the, the, the very people in this world we would take a bullet for, right, and yet we, we've been just spewed awful things at them why because in our own power and strength we can't even get along with the people that we love the most how on earth are people who who come from very different backgrounds and are very different ages and all that kind of stuff going to come together as one family outside the power of God it won't happen And if the church is God's plan A for the world, and it is, there is no plan B, if God is intending through us to put something of his power and his glory and his greatness and his beauty on display for the world to see, he must infuse us with other worldly power so that the outcome in our city is non-ignorable. The necessity of power. You guys with me so far? Now let's look at the next few verses, 17 to 19. And I want you to see the objective of power. What's the purpose of this power? What's it for? Verse 17, so that, see, he's praying, for this reason I bow my knees that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you be strengthened with power so that, verse 17, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You, that's, is that unexpected to anybody else? You're like, Paul, what's the purpose of this power? Like, what's the objective? Why why do we need to be filled with such power? Isn't it like to accomplish the mission of God, to see the world saved? And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But first, so that Christ would dwell in your heart. You're like, but doesn't Christ already dwell in my heart? If I'm a believer, doesn't he already dwell in my heart? And and yes, he does. But here's the difference. Um, To dwell, the biblical language for dwell means to take up residence, right? I would describe it this way. You guys know the difference between a house and a home? Yes? Okay, so you, you've stayed in a house, you live in a home. Some of you have, you, you know, you rent now. You rent a house, you rent an apartment, and it's the place you live, but you wouldn't call it home. But for those of us who've had the privilege of being able to purchase a home of our own, right, um, over time, that home begins to take on our personality. We move walls, we paint, we redo things, we, right? So that it takes on who we are and it, it becomes our home. Here's the reality. When, when you surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you. But here's the, here's the thing. Jesus bought a fixer-upper. And so as he's coming to take up residence in your soul, there's some stuff he needs to move around. I, I, I tell all, a lot of the same stories, but some of you haven't heard this, so it's gonna be brand new to some of you. Um, the, the home that we live in now, my wife and I, and my kids, they live there too. Uh, <laughs> We, we decided to remodel the kitchen. Now, when, we were, when we, we've were we been in there 11 or 12 years now, and when we first wanted to remodel, we didn't have the money to do a full remodel. So we were gonna just like paint the cabinets and, and paint the walls and put in a little bit of new flooring and get by until we had the money to do the full remodel. Some of you have been there, right? So um, it had some 90s wallpaper, which was real special. And, um, <laughs> and so I pull it back, and you know what I found? 80s wallpaper. And I pulled that back and there was 70s wallpaper. Kid you not, five layers of wallpaper in this house. Okay, it was real well insulated. Five layers, so we're pulling back. And, and by the time I get to the 50s wallpaper, which was amazing, I was like, we we'll just leave that. Cause it was like teal and gold, like fruit and vegetables and beer steins. And it was really cool. <laughs> and I was like, that, that's it. I mean, that we're back, this is what we need. But um, It took a lot of work, right, to clean the place up, to to make it our own. And Jesus has done the same thing and is doing the same thing in your life and in mine. Because in every church, in every age, there are the strong and the weak. There are the rooted and the unrooted. We think about our own lives personally. and We think, why, why are we so proud? Why are we so impatient? Why are we so unkind? Why are some of us so fearful? So anxious? Why are we so angry? Why do so many of us lack joy? Like we're followers of Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit of God residing inside of us and yet we would admit, you know, we're fearful and angry and anxious and we lack joy in all these things. Why is that? Because we do not understand the power inside of us. And so Paul, Paul is praying here for a greater capacity to comprehend the power of God, the love of God. He, he says here, to know that you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints, verse 18, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. How wide is the love of Christ what does the scripture tell us as far as as far as the east is from the west right our sins will be remembered no more jesus on the cross his arms were spread wide open as if to say all are welcome here to every person on the face of the earth come to me how long is the love of god Well, it extends all the way back before the foundation of the world. That's what Paul told us in Ephesians 1. And it extends all the way into eternity. Which is why Paul can so confidently tell us in in Romans chapter 8, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing on this earth, nothing in the spiritual realm, can separate us from the love of God if we are in Christ. How high is the love of Christ? all the way to the heavens. In fact, I was just reading this yesterday. John 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples. uh, And he says, I pray that they would be with me where I am. So I'm coming to you and I pray that they would be with me there. How deep is the love of Christ? On the cross, Jesus cried out, didn't he? The only time that he ever referred to God not as father. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of our creeds and confessions will say he descended into hell. That's how far Jesus would go to rescue you. How deep is the love of Christ all the way to hell? Do you do you, do you know this kind of love? This, that's what is, Paul is praying for, that you would know this kind of love, know a love that surpasses knowledge. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense to us, right? That you would have a knowledge beyond knowledge. <laughs> but you know this there's knowing, and there's knowing. You know? There's experiential language all over the Bible. Like Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. And you all know I'm a big food evangelist. Um, I've turned most of you on to Ava's Donuts by now. And I don't regret it. Um, <laughs> the new thing is Taco Boy. Some of you have been there. It's next door to our old church building over at Calvary. But they're opening up. They're opening up Taco Boy in Biltmore Park, October 20th. And Taco Boy, if you're listening, I'm, I'm promoing for you, so I should get some free food. But anyway, they got this taco called Birria Taco. I've mentioned this before. It's beef, and it comes with a consomme, and you dip it in the consomme, and you eat it, and it's so delicious, I started making it at home. It's the best thing you'll ever eat, right? And so I I talk about this all the time and and I could tell you about the slow cooked beef and I could tell you about the different kinds of peppers that are in it and the way that they make the sauce and I could describe it to you in excruciating detail and you'd go, okay, I know it now. And then you could taste it and then you would know. And that's the same way. You can know about the love of God or you can know the love of God. And, and my prayer for all of us is that we don't leave this room today without knowing that we know that we know the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. Imagine what would happen if an entire church, he's writing this to the church, right? He says, so that you'd have the strength to comprehend with all the saints. So he's not just speaking to us individually about our tacos. He's saying, what would it look like if an entire congregation would grasp together the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of Christ's love for us? We would be filled, he says, with the fullness of God. That means the Lord holding nothing of himself back from us. That would be dynamic. That would be powerful. That would be non-ignorable. Would you pray with me that God makes that a reality among us? That we would comprehend together with all the saints the breadth, the height, the length, and the depth of the love of Christ for us. One author put it this way. I think this is such an amazing line. He says, To the church, we will not live as God's holy ones until we know that we are first of all his beloved ones. We will not treat our neighbors with mercy until we apprehend Christ's mercy toward us. And this is a startling line, but I think it's true. We do not know anything about Christianity until we know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Do you know the love of Christ for you? Okay, lastly, you hanging in? I know you want cookies. Just chill out. (laughs) The source of power. Where does this power come from? Look at verses 20 to 21. Because here's the reality. Some of you are going, okay, this sounds great. But how is it actually possible, right? Right? Like I hear about the power of God. That's like, yes, who doesn't want the power of God at work inside of us? But here's my reality. I feel anything but powerful. I feel weak. I feel insufficient. I feel broken. As if everyone else is experiencing the power of God and I'm sitting over here like the last kid on the bench at the softball game, like, put me in, coach, right? And I I can't even swing the bat. That's how I feel. And you're telling me, That God's plan, his big plan A, is that he's supposed to show off his greatness and his beauty and his power through us? (laughs) That a whole bunch of busted up and broken sinners are Jesus's hope for the world? Yeah. How? Look at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen how is this supposed to happen how is this power of God supposed to be unleashed through his people because he is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think Now, that's a grammatically weird statement, isn't it? Far more abundantly. Some translations will say um, immeasurably more. I think the NIV puts it like that. Immeasurably more. I like that. The New Living Translation says infinitely more. It really just means super abundantly. It's like take your abundance and add abundance on top of that. Right? I'll give you this. Maybe it puts it in perspective everyone in the room and everyone within the sound of my voice, if, if our collective ability, if our collective power is, is one raindrop, one drop of water, then Jesus's power and ability is all the water of the oceans, which is, which is I learned, 321,300, three, sorry, 3,271 cubic miles of water. So, all of our ability, collectively, in our own power and strength, one drop of water. Jesus' power and ability, 321 million cubic miles of water. It's unfathomable. It doesn't even make sense. Like, we can't compute that in our brains, right? It doesn't, how how much beyond us the power of God is. I, I am talking about the one through whom and for whom and by whom all things were created and the one who holds all things together by the word of his power. I'm talking about the one who hung the stars and put the planets in their places and who also controls every speck of dust that you see on a sunbeam. Not one particle moves to the left or the right outside the sovereign power of our God. I'm talking about the one who parted the Red Sea and made it into a highway for his people. And the moment that the enemy tried to step onto it, he closed it back up and swallowed them all up. I'm talking about the one who made the wall at Jericho fall down from the inside out. With a trumpet. I'm talking about the one who made the sun stand still. The one who came into the world to live a life that you and I could never live, perfect and sinless and above reproach, tempted in every way, but without sin. I'm talking about the one who went to the cross to die in our place for our sins, to take all of our shame, guilt, and stupidity on himself to bear the wrath of God in our place so that we could be free. I'm talking about the one who got up out of the grave on the third day and returned it like a library book because he didn't need that thing no more. talking about the one who brings dead souls to life. The one who will return to this earth and destroy the works of evil fully and finally. The one who Revelation says will make all things new. So here's the reality. If that's who we're talking about, if that's the God that we follow, if that's the Jesus that we are submitting our lives to, then our greatest need and our greatest ask will never, ever, 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 ever reach the bottom of his divine ability. Yep. He is able to do immeasurably more than all that we could ask. Hmm. How much can you ask how much can we ask? Probably a lot, huh? You want to know the power of asking? Go in the toddler ministry. You're going to hear all kinds of questions you never even dreamed of, right? They know how to ask. What's a greater request than Jesus save me? And yet, not only did he forgive us all of our sins, but he credited us with the righteousness of God. He did far more abundantly than all we asked. He's also, the text tells us, able to do far more abundantly than all we could think. How creative are you? How much can you think of? So so take everything that you could ever think of and heap it on top of everything you could ever ask for. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ is still able to do far more than ever entered our hearts or left our lips. Now, I I know some of you right now are going, "That, that sounds good. I don't know if I really believe that. Is he God or is he not? If he is God, there is no limit to his ability. And and here's the the stunning thing about this passage and the reason I wanted to bring this passage to us this morning. Read it with me again, verses 20 and 21. Now to him, okay, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, okay, according to the power at work within who? What? 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 <laughs> to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power within us? Are you kidding me? This is God's great plan? His immeasurable power at work within human beings? Have you seen human beings? What does what Paul tell us that God told him in, uh, I think it's in 2 Corinthians 12? Paul says, Yeah, Lord, I'm weak. And the Lord says to him, I know. My grace is sufficient for your weakness. And you know what he follows it up with saying? My power is made perfect. My grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in your weakness. Hmm. The cross of Christ makes it obvious that God desires our good with all that he is. So what is the Lord unwilling to do for us to the praise of his glorious grace? What's he what's he unwilling to do for us if we will simply ask him to do far more abundantly than all we could ever ask or imagine so, so here's my here's my charge to us this morning okay that we would stay low before the Lord stay humble before him asking him to do what only he can do in our lives personally some of you are are in desperate situations, some of you are heading into them, some of you are just doing fine, and you're kind of like, is this all there is to life? And I'm, right now, if we will stay low before the Lord and ask him to do what only he can do in our lives, but also through us, congregationally, what would it look like? If, if we would ask God to give us a greater sense together of his presence, If he would fuel in us more passionate prayer, if he would stir in our hearts more vibrant worship of God, if he would sustain each of us with a deeper joy, if he would continue to build in us a greater unity if he would empower us with a bolder witness so that the good news flows from us through this place from generation to generation. That's what he says here in verse 21, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. What would it look like if we were to think and ask and pray and seek God so that a hundred years from now, a watching world is compelled to look at steadfast church and say, it looks like Jesus is there. We don't have much time, friends. None of us are promised tomorrow. And, and yet God is able to do far more if we will simply open our hands and open our mouths and say, do it, Lord. Here's what I need from you. Here's what I need in my life. Here's what I, here's what I ask you to do through me for your glory and for the good of this city. We're in a process right now, our elders and staff, of, I realize, you know, we are, we're a year into this thing. Um, and when we came together, we basically just sort of borrowed all of Missio Day's old language, vision, mission, values, all that kind of stuff. Because um, we were the sort of adopting church, if you will. But um, the reality is we are a different church than we were a year ago. God has done a new thing here. And so we're, we're in a process right now, and I'm hopeful to share with you at the beginning of the year, but I'm really excited about the direction that the Lord has for us. It seems everyone seems on board with it. We're just kind of working on language right now, like what it'll look like to explain this. But, but um, we, we have a new direction, a new vision that I believe will carry us from generation to generation. And isn't it our hope? Isn't it our expectation that what God does through Steadfast Church outlives every single one of us for his glory? Okay, so I'm done. Um, that's my sermon. So I'm gonna, I don't have any questions for you this morning. I, I would maybe just ask you to, to just, in our moment of quiet, maybe there's something that the Lord, that you know you need from him. Some desire, some earnest plea, some something that's just stirring in you right now. And, and this is a moment to just sit still before him and say, Would you do it, Jesus? You are able to do far more abundantly than all I could ask or think. Well, I thought of this and I'm asking for it. So do more than that. (laughs) Okay? Um, So we'll just be still for a moment. Uh, When when I get up, that'll be the signal to all of you that that the communion tables are open. We're gonna come and celebrate communion together, which is just uh, an opportunity for us to receive from Jesus a foretaste of this heavenly promise that on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke and he said, this is my body, do this. When you gather, do this, break this, and remember my broken body to make you whole. When he took the cup, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. And what he meant was his blood was going to be spilled for all of us to cleanse us from sin and unrighteousness. And it's not only a remembrance of what he did on the cross, but it's a, it's a foreshadowing to the time when we will be gathered together with him after he makes all things new. And we will be seated at a feast with him. An eternal feast where we will get to enjoy fellowship with Jesus. And so this is a foretaste of that. This is like a a remembrance of the promise that is yet to come. And so you come as a follower of Jesus in in, uh, dependence on him with a clean conscience. You come to these tables. You take a piece of the bread, dip into the juice or the wine, whatever your conscience allows. If you're not a Christian, if you don't believe any of this stuff, you can just stay seated um, during this time. This is for those of us who know we need our Savior and we want grace from him today. And so we'll come to these tables. Um, And you make your your way back to your seats. There are black boxes uh, against the walls there. You can drop your offering if you're a regular. If you have a prayer request, you can put it on a connect card and drop it in there as well. But um, we're gonna take a moment, just be still and silent. And again, when I get up, the back rows, tables will be open. You can start making your way down. Father, thank you for sustaining us for one year. It's a miracle, it really is. Um, And yet we ask you to do far more than one year. Would you, be, would you demonstrate your faithfulness to us for, for hundreds of years to come? Would children not yet born who grow up in this church be confident that Jesus is here? Would they lead the charge into the next generation and the next so that, that this, this literal physical location remains a city on a hill For an ever-darkening world, we pray, Lord, that you would do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to the power of God at work within us. Use us for your purposes, Lord. There are things that each of us need personally, and so we ask you to do those things in us, but we also ask you as a church to use us and to empower us so that your kingdom might expand in our city for your glory um, and for the good of people who do not even know you yet. Lord, we love you, not nearly enough, but we love you because you loved us first. And so now as we sit in silence, as we reflect, as we pray, as we respond in communion and giving and and singing, would you be honored and glorified and would you fill us with great joy in your presence? We ask all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus and we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, amen.